Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Super Movie Studies Podcast, a show about comic book movies approached from every angle, and a community of nerds discussing how fiction relates to nonfiction. I'm your comic-cultured host, Michael Maurer, joined by the movie maestro, James Gallagher, and the scientific scholars, first one being Ben Anderson, and another one, Ryan Schnard. Hey, it's Ryan! Hey! Haven't seen you since... Last Stand. Last Stand. Last Stand was... A couple years ago, I think. About a year, I'd say. I think it's almost exactly a year at this point. SMSP Uh, is... Oh, is one you were still in Chicago. That's right. Yeah. Which would have been a certain period in your life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very specific. Yes. SMSP is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week we continue our journey exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the film. Whether it's money, comic books, music, science, cerebro, or magneto. SMSP talks about it all in this week's episode. It's been almost 15 years, hasn't it? Living from day to day, moving from place to place, with no memory of who or what you are. Shut up. Give me a chance. I may be able to help you find some answers. How do you know? You're not the only one with gifts. Where are you going? Where is he going? He's over there. What are you doing? Over here. What is this place? Anonymity is a mutant's first defense against the world's hostility. To the public, we're merely a school for gifted youngsters. Cyclops, Storm, and Jean were some of my first students. I protected them, taught them to control their powers, and in time, teach others to do the same. The students are mostly runaways. Frightened, alone, some with gifts so extreme that they've become a danger to themselves and those around them. Like your friend Rogue, incapable of physical human contact, probably for the rest of her life. And yet here she is, with others her own age, learning, being accepted, not feared. Sorry. I'm Bobby. What's your name? Rogue. What'll happen to her? Well, that's up to her. Rejoin the world as an educated young woman, or stay on to teach others, to become what the children have affectionately called X-Men. Welcome to Mutant High. X-Men! And yes, there will be spoilers. No, that comes later. <laughs> that theme wasn't in this one yet, and I it was I, not. And I heard it, it was, though. The, all the whole time, I heard it. I know. There, there's not to jump to my section immediately, but there's the the raw materials of what would eventually become the X Men score here. All right, first opinion. So let's start with Skyler. X Men is a weird movie. It's it's before we had, you know, the superhero resurgence with Spider-Man, the whole poppy, colorful, not too terribly serious uh, superhero film. This just feels like a really sterile, weird Ridley Scott sci-fi movie with a lot of characters and long silences. And it's one of the oddest superhero movies I can remember that saying it's pretty good because it's a nice intro to the X-Men universe, not too terribly demanding. And I don't know, you can't ask for much more than Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen and Hugh Jackman in these movies, because that's going to be the consistently good thing in all of them. Uh, but yeah, it's a, despite some frankly horrendous dialogue. Yeah. Do you know what happens with a toad when it's struck by lightning? Other than that, 
It's a pretty fun time. Joss Whedon uh, wrote that line. One of no. two jokes of his still in the movie. He yeah. did the original yeah, run. He, he was he was scripted. <laughs> he was he was meant to write the script, and among like eight people wrote the script for X Men, and then they sort of cherry picked certain <laughs> things. And Joss Joss Whedon had two lines that yes, stayed in the he, film. he does have terrible jokes, and that is one of them. Yeah, <sighs> you know there are some people who think he's infallible. <laughs> Clearly not. Um, no. Uh, anyway, fun time. Uh, popcorn bed. I think the Ridley Scott comparison is really apt because I totally forgot that I've seen this movie before. I started watching it today and I was like, I've never seen this. It's so weird that I've like watched the X-Men films basically in reverse order. And I started watching it. And by like the third scene, I was like, oh yeah, I've seen this one. This one's pretty good. And I kept watching a little bit more. I was like, it's really boring though. And it's it's kind of like Blade Runner. Yeah. Which is a boring movie that's amazing. So boring. Yeah. And, and and yeah, I it's good. It bores the hell out of me. And I, like I didn't remember I'd seen it at least <laughs> twice before. Mhm. So, can I recommend it? Yes. Okay. Just know that like I thought you were asking me. I was like <laughs> I, I was asking myself, can okay. I recommend this? I can recommend it with caveats. But don't expect like a superhero movie. Really? I mean, minus the bits with Wolverine. Right. But, like, it's it's more like Blade Runner than X-Men 2. <laughs> X-Men right. 2, and they up the ante. Popcorn. I forget your name. Ryan. Ryan. <laughs> he said it out loud not three minutes ago, but well, that's okay. <sighs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's been years since I've seen the movie, so I can't give an honest present-day opinion of it, but I remember I've always liked it. Um, it was definitely between... Blade, obviously, but then it was X-Men and Spider-Man that really launched the sp- superhero movies again. Um, so at for, at the time, it was very good, but with what's come afterward, it has not aged well, uh, particularly the effects. No. Um, Cyclops' eye beams are... Oh, well, I, I was also rough. thinking uh, the saber-toothed Wolverine fight on top of the Statue of Liberty the uh, when Wolverine twirls around... <laughs> Uh, on one of the spikes, that is really bad. Um, but I, mean, if if you if if you want to watch the kind of the foundation of what super superhero movies became this century, I think it's definitely must watch. Um, but yeah, it hasn't aged the greatest. <laughs> Popcorn, Michael. Hi. All right. Uh, X Men. Hmm. You know, first act. I went, man. I forgot how good this movie is. Strong first act. Rogue on the road. Um, even though like they're introducing like three or four main X-Men characters in just nonstop expository scenes of just like, here's this character's origin. Here's this character's origin. Here's this character's origin. Rogue. And we're going to keep going. Okay. Um, like that, 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 um, that, that concentration camp scene is one of the most moving in almost, I mean, all superhero film history. Uh, and then to have, like, Rogue in that, that biker bar, um, and that's how you meet Wolverine as a cage fighter who just gets the shit kicked out of him every day until eventually he's like, all right, you tired? I'm going to knock you out with my face because I'm made of metal. How do people not hear that, by the way? Like, they made the sounds very present. Also, cheesy sound effects in this movie. When, like, he, he punches someone, it goes, ding! And you're like, okay. Ding. Yeah, what? Really? Like, where is, like, bone on metal makes that sound? <laughs> really? Skin on metal makes that sound? Okay. Um... But and so I was like, strong, strong first act, like it a lot. And then you get into the second act. By the time they introduce the X Men, you go, okay, fuck all these people. <laughs> this is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous because it's just like, what is this place? It's a school. Look at this beautiful school facility we have. And they have those cute little scenes of all the mutants doing weird mutant shit that's like really harmless, like running on water. Ha 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 ha. Hey, no powers! <laughs> yeah, walking, yeah, walking um, through a, a wall. Just shit like that. Um, but, and then it's just like, this is Storm, Cyclops, Jean Grey, and I'm Charles Xavier, and we're also a paramilitary group. This is our jet. And you're like, whoa! <laughs> you have a fucking jet? Things have taken a turn. Yeah. It's like, this is the best book. young man named Eric Langshire. Yeah. He goes by Magneto. <laughs> <laughs> Attacked by an M named Sabretooth. 
Yes. Yeah. Oh. Magneto. <laughs> I love, yes, the, 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 like, this is the schoolroom. This is the basketball court. This is the outdoor lounge area. This is the jet hangar. <laughs> like, what school is this? <laughs> um, and then, yeah, Act 3 is, it's okay. It's a fun amount of 2000s level action scenes that are <laughs> will get you by enough to keep watching. And you go, huh, Howie Berry really dropped that accent pretty hot when it dropped it like it was hot in that second movie came along. So like, God, are you... That accent was horrible. Yeah, it was bad. It wasn't too good. Um, it relied on The movie relied on its strengths, which was aesthetic and uh, Wolverine. Oddly enough, even though that was a film debut, they've weaned heavy on Hugh Jackman. Um, and that well enough that paid off. Also, to have Logan come out so recently and to go back and rewatch this, it's like, ah, full circle. Feels good. What hair product does Hugh Jackman use in his iconic first performance as Wolverine? Um, L'Oreal. Logan cream for men. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're moving on to money. Uh, the production budget of this film is $75. Uh, <laughs> $75. Accurate. About 70 of that went to... Um, Hugh Jackman's hair. Pay for Toad's tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Pay for Ray, Ray Park's makeup. The amount of foundation they had to put they, on him. They they licensed uh, Gene Simmons from Kiss. <laughs> they, they had to pay for the rights to use his... Prehensile tongue? His prehensile tongue. All right. Uh, so production budget, $75 million. Excuse me. Yeah, just a few zeros missing there. Six. <laughs> yes, that's the one. Two times Wait. a few. <laughs> anyway. Maybe even um, several. It it made more than $75. It actually made even more than $75 million. Domestic gross on X-Men from the summer of 2000 was $157.2 million. Elsewhere in the world, it brought in $139 million for a grand total of $296.3 million. U.S. blockbuster, not quite international, but monies. <laughs> X-Men showed that m- superhero movies can make money. I don't like the Blade argument. The Blade argument is trash. Like, the Blade argument was, pu- like, Blade was part of the resurgence of the m- superhero movies. Blade didn't make shit, all right? Blade made Blade made about ten bucks to put in Guillermo del Toro's pocket, okay? <laughs> Bought him what? a coffee the next dude, day. He did the, dude, he did the second one. <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah, I mean. But it doesn't matter. Any of the Blades, all right? <laughs> Any of them. They all made the same amount of money, except Blade 3 tanked. Blade 1 and 2 were enough to get another movie. <laughs> right. Oh, who actually thinks the the audience for Blade is going to be even close to the, you know, the people who go see X-Men? True. I mean... Or Spider-Man. Oh, God. Everyone went to see Spider-Man. All the people went to go see Spider-Man. Oh, wow. Well, in terms of this being from 2000, uh, it was about as successful that year as... The first scary movie and Meet no. the Parents. Is that yeah. right? The yeah. Scary that's movie right. Made pop- about that's 300 million. That- scary movie made more than X-Men? Pretty cl- uh, no, I don't think it made more. Yeah. What kind of uh, universe are we living in? <laughs> the first one was pretty Next good. Next you'll be telling me that hot dogs are sandwiches. <laughs> well, they are. I mean, oh, it's God. a piece what? of meat between two slices of bread. <laughs> Bye, Ben. <laughs> are you actually <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. Ben actually needs to leave, so we'll get to his segment uh, so r- right oh. now. <laughs> How can you say these things? <laughs> we're going to flip the format a bit. Uh, we're going to go. I, I am not fucking done oh here. Oh, my God. <laughs> Closest comic book movies before this one in terms of money were Blade, Batman, and Robin. That is really okay. sad. This uh, made double what Blade did and about $50 million more in the U.S. than Batman and Robin did on a smaller budget. And thus, we have superhero movies from this millennia. This this millennia, millennia. Mm-hmm. That's what I like to call this a millennia. Millennia. So, would you consider a pop tart a sandwich? Two pieces of bread Shit. between a jelly filling, a jelly filling. But that's pastry. It's different. It's a pastry. It's not a sandwich. Are we really doing this? We can. <laughs> Would you consider X Men a superhero movie? Yes. <laughs> it's a movie then with a hot dog and a sandwich. It. No. Characters smushed between two 
black screens. <laughs> Between a line about how evolution happens. Yay! All right, flipping <laughs> format. We're going to know science, music, comic book tonight. Ooh. 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 <laughs> reverse, reverse. <laughs> so, everybody clap your hands. Clap, 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 clap. Uh, so, Ben. Yes. You only want to cover one topic and then leave. Uh, there, there's, there's, like... There's one topic in this one that I realize we've never given its full due, and that is the topic of evolution. That's right. We did talk um, about the mutant gene, mm-hmm. kind of. We, we've touched on bits and pieces of it, kind of dancing around the topic, but we've never done a full-blown segment on evolution. Well, what do you want to say Trigger about warning. Because it has to be in relation to the X-Men, right. right? So Professor X's opening line, like, every few millennia. He's like, evolution jumps, leaps forward. And so, yeah, so evolution, um, I'm sure most of our audience knows. Um, Survival of the fittest. Right. Nope. That's not it. Uh, I mean, yes, but for a certain notions of survival and fitness. Um, but basically the idea is animals like to, and actually all kinds of life, like to make more life. And sometimes there will be, like, random changes in your offspring at the genetic level, like a little little flip of the DNA mm-hmm. randomly here and there. And sometimes this will change the characteristics of the offspring. And either those characteristics will help those offspring have offspring, or they will help the um, offspring get killed off before they can reproduce. Now, this isn't really applicable to humans once the discovery of modern medicine became a thing. Oh, au contraire. Okay, we'll get to that. Contraire me. Um, and so the if you if you you know accrue a bunch of changes in your DNA that help you make you know pass on those changes more than other people, then those changes will become expressed you know in in the whole species because. If you don't do it, you die out. Yes. And that's evolution. Things changing over time through random changes in DNA. And environment. And your envir- and environmental pressures and all that. Yes. Yep. So. Um, we're getting to the contrary. We're, we're, we're slowly building to that. <laughs> now, at the beginning of the movie, Charles Xavier says, like, evolution is a process that happens slowly over time, which is true. And then he's like, every few millennia, it jumps forward. That is not true. <laughs> um, you can actually, through some very complicated genetic stuff, basically keep track of how quickly mutations accrue over time. So, that, like, these mutations happen randomly, and you can see, like, how many uh-huh. happen per year or per century or whatever. And it's 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 not like every thousand years there's a huge batch, and then there's nothing. And then there's uh-huh. a huge batch, and then there's nothing. Okay. It's like pretty, pretty constant, pretty continuous. Okay. So I'm sorry, Professor X, but you don't know anything about <laughs> evolution. Ironically, well, every few millennia, something wipes out the dominant species. We'll say that because like, uh, dinosaurs would be ruling this place. Mammals should not be ruling the world. Right. In all honesty, but dinosaurs not- are like objectively superior, except they were subject to new environmental pressures. Exactly. And then mammals had the traits. Needed to needed survive. to survive, and so evolution happened, and now we have a huge variety of mammals. Yes, yep, including Homo mutants, Homo superior. <laughs> yes, and the, and of, in the DC world, Homo magi. Yes, <laughs> and uh, that's evolution for you, folks. And if you, you know, were taught that in a American public school, then congratulations, you live in one of the good states. <laughs> <laughs> um, Suck it, Tennessee. So you were saying that you were saying that evolution doesn't happen anymore because of modern medicine. Okay, there's the contrary part. On I'm the contrary, forgetting. because of modern medicine, we can force humans to evolve exactly how we want them to. There is a new there's like a brand new genetic technique for manipulating DNA called CRISPR. Oh, CRISPR. I feel as if we've touched on CRISPR. It no. Well, let's talk about CRISPR. Not in this show. Okay. <laughs> we might have talked about it. Uh, but basically, it's a technique for, like, very quickly and efficiently and cheaply um, editing DNA and figuring out exactly what the edits you make will do. Oh, shit. And so, um, basically, they're right now they're like, hey, 
we could use this technique to eliminate every like uh, genetic disease. Like, because these changes that you make in the DNA using the CRISPR method are often inheritable. Okay. So if you're like, hey, um, we're going to manipulate your DNA so you um, have a 0% chance of getting some like Crohn's, like Crohn's disease. Or I'm trying to think of another, like a gen- sickle cell. Yeah, or like, or like a de- degenerative Huntington's. Huntington's. Uh, Huntington's. That's the one I was thinking of. Um, like these diseases. Oh, sure. No name wants. the big one. <laughs> and and so like we'll just do this CRISPR method, and then your kids won't have this. Okay. So we don't do this yet because because there are tremendous ethical concerns. Of course. Because right now we're like, hey, let's stop Huntington's disease. Hey, great. And that's like, hey, let's stop nearsightedness. Whoa. Yeah, okay. Uh, hey, let's stop people from going bald. And you're like, um... All right, let's get... And then you're like, hey, let's make sure that our kids are born with red hair and green eyes. Ooh. Ooh. And now you're like, hmm, we've crossed a line somewhere. Exactly. And w- we won't say to... where. We don't, know... <laughs> we don't know exactly where that is. There's a line between... <laughs> Curing degenerative somewhere between diseases. the the border of Poland and Germany, a line was crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, between... For some reason, I'm just getting Michael Shannon talking about the degenerative bloodlines. No, in great. my head. Sure, <laughs> you ruined our species, Kalal. All right. Anyway, right. So, so there's some ethical concerns, but the technology exists for us to like basically evolve humanity exactly how we want it to beautiful all right like everyone has different ideas about what that should be do you need to go uh i i'm gonna go yes my wife is outside okay so i bid you farewell have a good rest of your show i look forward to hearing the rest of it all right and i'm sorry for yelling at you for calling hot dog a sandwich (laughs) even though i disagree yeah um like 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 when you're uh when you're slicing that summer sausage and she wants to... I'm going to need you to leave. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're done. All right. Ryan, I don't know if you wanted to talk about Claus going over the the, 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 the peak of the, 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 the Statue of Liberty. Um, gravity. <laughs> okay. That's all you have to say? Yeah, it's just... It, you can't, okay, it, you maybe, maybe if, it, if it catches it, he might spin about halfway around, but he's not going to keep cutting all the way around in a circle. Okay, it's not it's Friction, not gravity, not happening. There's a lot of forces at work there that yeah, don't make sense. Exactly. Okay, we're moving on then. To, uh, to music, actually. Ah, gotcha tripped up there. Okay, uh, music for the first X-Men movie is not done by anyone we've talked about yet is done by michael kamen who was a uh, film composer pretty prolific in the 80s and 90s i believe he passed away shortly after this movie came out unfortunately so this might be one of his last uh music scores also very hard to find on itunes apparently but not on youtube so that's what counts um let's just start things off with the main title sequence Uh, featuring uh, Michael Kamen's theme for X-Men. Skyler? Yes. I don't know how many times I have to say this, but you and the audio on the computer are on the same track, which means when the music is playing, either mute your mic or shut the fuck up. <laughs> Definitely got to talk through it. Okay, I got it. Because <laughs> I can mute our mics in the studio, no problem, but you and the computer are on the same channel because you are on a Google Hangout. So therefore, to mute We have one, an understanding. 
Did it take 18 times for me to say that for us to get no, there? No, not, not me and you, me and the computer, because we're on the same track. You can fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Okay. I was like, at what point do I piss him off? Okay. Uh, <laughs> that theme was boring as hell. Oh, yeah, it was. It's. I have always thought that. I continue to think that. I. There's. It's part of that whole weird sci-fi Ridley Scott thing. I got a Dark like, City vibe. Did anyone else get a Dark City vibe? Uh, I don't even know if I'd go that far, because it's not even, like, dark. It's just rushing strings doing, like, really dissonant things. Uh, uh, rest in peace, Michael Kamen. Yep, I... I'm just honestly not so terribly familiar with his work, but if you give me like three seconds, I can. Yeah, let's see. He, he worked with Coldplay. And, Coldplay and Sting. What? And Def Leppard. And what? On what? Okay, hold on, hold on. Going to the um, became highly sought after arranger in the realms of pop and rock music. His contemporaries in this field included Academy Award winner Annie Dudley, Richard Niles, Nick Ingman. His successes include work with Pink Floyd, David Gilmore, Roger Waters, as well as Queen, Eric Clampton, Roger Daltrey, Aerosmith, Tom Petty, Bon Jovi, David Bowie, Eurythmics, uh, Rush, Metallica, Brian Adams, The Cranberries, Tim Curry, um... (laughs) Cold, <laughs> question mark Coldplay Sting all this shit alright he did wow, all that a, that is a variety. quite the lineup and now what I have to ask is does that sound like anything you would attribute to what we just heard well I would assume his scores for TV and film were much different than his pop scores I would guess so um Film and TV, he's known for, other than obviously X-Men. He did the music to The Dead Zone, Brazil, uh, Three Musketeers, Highlander, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Licensed to Kill, one of the uh, James Bond films, and the Lethal Weapon series, in addition to the first three diehards. Don't forget Iron Giant, baby. Oh, there we go. That's right. That's probably some good shit right there. Huh? How about that? And yeah, and it looks as if he passed away in 2003. Yeah. So. All right, what's the next track we got? The one you asked for. That's true. Um, the next track is Cerebro from when Professor X uses his mind machine for the first time. And I was told specifically that this was a good one. Oh, I liked it when I heard it. I was like, I texted Skyler like, put this one in. I don't always do that, but I was like, Weird. do that one. I like that bit. I don't know. It uh, it had some swelling. Is that the right word for it? It should see a doctor. <laughs> yeah. No. The, 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 yeah. Ryan was saying off mic that it sounds like X2's theme. Yeah. Just just not not necessarily X2 specifically, but just what it sounded more like what the X Men theme would become over the course of the movies than that uh, first theme that you played. Yeah, no, I had had mentioned earlier that there are just, like, the raw materials of what the X-Men music would become. It's not formed into anything terribly memorable or, you know, iconic at this point. But I think by the time we get to the next uh, track, which is Checkmate, the end titles of the movie, you'll hear a new interpretation of the theme that does sound even more like what we would get in X2, so... All right, let's fucking let's hear snap. it. <laughs> <laughs> 
sample that and compare. It's like just us, like take out the theme and drag it, <laughs> and like make it just, slower. Just add an extra note to it. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. No, I think you can definitely tell that these two movies were directed by the same people, and it's interesting to uh, note how one composer takes the uh you know the tips hints kind of guidance on what they want versus how the other one c- can do that who did and how they x2 oh, sorry. who did x2 again john ottman who did also days of future past john ottman's a hack <laughs> he got this all from kaden stealing from a dead man <laughs> By the time X2 came out, like, Keaton was on his deathbed, so <laughs> maybe. Right. So he's just like, tell me your secrets. <laughs> I'm using it in the next X-Men movie. Yeah, that, 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 that was definitely, it could have been how, X2, basically, yeah. Uh, oh, that's, like, that's how it went down. Yeah. It's like, yeah. share with me what you think you're going to do for X2. <laughs> that's my theme now, bitch. <laughs> and, then he, and then he fills his, his medicine bag it- with shit that'll kill him. It's a, yeah. it's a, like the, the the movie composers is actually a really shady society. <laughs> There's a lot of competition. It was like that Amadeus movie. <laughs> yeah, he's like, all right, sleep now, sweet prince. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this. Goes. I'm gonna take this music to the next fucking level. <laughs> but my wife. That's right. Was laughing at me. I forget God I absolve you (laughs) (laughs) oh I have no more on this it's it's an early superhero score to a movie that doesn't feel very much like a superhero movie okay then let's move to comic books because it's about to get toasty in here baby (sighs) that's right rapid fire mixing's hot because it's X-Men 1 you know how many fucking characters I got to talk to about? <laughs> so many goddamn characters. You know how many characters. characters they fucking wanted to premiere in this film that eventually be, would become Academy Award winning actors and actresses? Oh. One. Uh, just one. Oh. <laughs> just Howie Berry. Um, I don't know. Is Patrick Stewart and Ian McCowan award, uh, Academy Award winning not actors? Not off the top of my head. I mean, they're knights. No, but, but I think Anna Paquin might she have was, had she a was, nomination. She, she got one when she was young. Yeah, she, got, she won she for the young. piano. She won oh, that yeah. one. Yeah, that, um, that was like 1994 or something like that. Yeah, that's like a yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and that's it. Yes, and then Halle Berry Monsters Ball 2003. Um, Ray Park Wait. for suddenly didn't show up in movies for a while after Phantom Menace in this film. Um, I'm just going off actors at this point. Tyler Mayen. Where the heck is that guy? Was he a wrestler? I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he was. Uh, else. He was Michael Myers in the. God awful Halloween reboots. Ooh, ooh, no thanks. Ouch. Okay, um, and then Bruce Davison, he's around. He's doing he's doing background work somewhere. He's he's always but, kind of stuck to the supporting roles and yeah. But but he's yeah he's he's still around. But yeah. he hasn't done anything huge. Well, that's no. Bruce Davison. Yeah, my fr- my favorite Bruce Davison role is in the Crucible, especially in the first few minutes when he's all paranoid like you're summoning spirits in the forest <laughs> yes all right so let's get to the first characters here here we go here we go and this is why i brought ryan as well um <clears throat> ryan is my x-men fact checker uh he know he has forgotten more about x-men than i will know um having read it since what 1995 x-men yes 2010 okay <laughs> but I've, I've i've gone back to the early claremont stuff and read uh majority of the stuff since then oh gosh so post so 1975 stuff. and you know that that probably oh, takes you five eight ten years to read because it's chris claremont that's a wordy motherfucker oh, he is 
exposition <laughs> vomit everywhere. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I was just reading Dark Phoenix Saga, and I was like, this is a novel. It, it, it takes a long time to get through Claremont. Yeah. Comic books are usually quick. Quick. Not Claremont no, books. No. He, he is... Well, his, his background was in... Uh, uh, political theory. Oh, so ba- basically, he, he was he studied politics and theater in college. Um, so basically, his approach was method acting oh. to, <laughs> and then he to fancy, comic book characters. Yeah, well, I, it worked. I mean, he turned X Men into the biggest franchise Marvel had had up to that point. I mean, it topped even Spider Man. Yeah, uh, that so, and like what he's the he's got to be the the longest Marvel writer on a on a project. He wrote to stay on a project for twenty uh, years. Uncanny X Men for seventeen years, starting Damn. all but one spinoff. In that he started New Mutants, Excalibur, the Wolverine series plus a number of minis uh, and then he came back to x-men in the late 90s for a few years then went to extreme x-men when morrison took over the main title and then jumped back to uncanny for a couple more after that Ugh. so he's got probably close to 25 years of just x-men experience he's still writing too right uh he's doing some independent stuff he was on Nightcrawler not too long ago. Um, he did do the Nightcrawler solo series that lasted uh, twelve issues about two three years ago. Yeah, so I mean, like he always pops up. He's still he, around. He, he, though he had he backed off a little bit on the exposition on that one because uh, as I, and this is I'm paraphrasing here. He was told that thought bubbles weren't cool anymore. Ha! <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure an editor would tell him that. Yeah, it was, I, 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 it was either an editor or another writer. Say, this ain't nineteen seventy, Claremont. Get your shit together. X-Men are established. You don't have to vomit (laughs) words all over the page. Yeah, we do a one-page catch-up on everyone. Marvel's thing is they have a one-page. I got to say, we got a a run of the early Claremont X-Men's in at the store. People kill for those things still. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, And a few of those, like the key issues, are worth a good amount of money if you have uh, them in good condition. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. All right. Upwards of almost 100 each, yeah. I'm going to get to the characters now. <laughs> First character, Toad, the X-Men, number four, Stanley, Jack Kirby, 1964. So this is the third, fourth issue, third issue after the very first X-Men issue ever in 1963. Okay, so I'm just going to give you quick backstories on these characters, uh, re- or <laughs> basic backstories, okay? Basic <laughs> Knowing X Men, nothing is concrete. Uh, every, absolutely everything in X Men is compl- has gotten completely overcom- overcomplicated and convoluted. Uh, so basically, this is the cliff notes. These are cliff notes. Yes. All right. Rejected by his parents at birth, uh, Toad, aka Mortimer Tony B. Wow, terrible name, was actually giftedly intelligent. Uh, unfortunately, appearance always made him subject to persecution. So he dropped out of school. Uh, being a freak on the streets, he developed a severe depression issues and dependency, latching to anyone who showed him any affection. Uh, enter Magneto and his offer to join the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants before they dropped the evil. Uh, however, while Toad thought Mags loved him, he treated him as nothing more than a human shield or a toady. Oh, my God. Uh, retcon his ugliness post-2000 to um, Kurt Marco, genetic fuckery. So basically what that means is uh, they, they they made a story saying that Toad actually wasn't that ugly and that this scientist guy, Kurt Marco, I'll go into a little bit more early, later, um, actually fucked with his genetics a bit, and that's what made him extra ugly. So they realigned his DNA and so it gave him a completely new transformation. And why did they do that? <laughs> so that they could make him look and feel a lot like Ray Park's version of Toad from the X-Men movie. <laughs> God, I hate it when they do that. <laughs> but, I mean, in this case, it kind of made sense because Toad's only power before was, like, jumping. <laughs> I don't – you could you could quote me on that. I don't think he had any other ability than to leap. Uh, the pr- uh, the he didn't tongue. Have, he didn't have a prehensile tongue yet. Okay. That was new. Because he was, I've read very little Toad because basically, aside from his initial issues in the Kirby Lee stuff, he doesn't really hardly show up in Claremont's material. Oh no, 
Um, so Toad, yeah, they they transformed Toad so that they has all the abilities that were introduced in the 2000 X Men movie, such as uh, more technical genius, um, a more Toadish face. Actual, like um, he already was kind of like Toady in his demeanor and everything like that. But in this case, like they gave him a haunch spine, um, but they made him thinner and less less pudgy. Um, and then the prehensile tongue was a big thing, and then of course different. Uh, radioactive kind of spit um, and stuff like that. Yummy. Yep. Moving on. Senator Robert Kelly, Uncanny X-Men, number 135, 1980, Chris, Chris, Crispy Claremont and John Byrne. Uh, the senator started at the, as the U.S. face of anti-mutant movements. He was tricked into seeing Cyclops shoot into the middle of a crowd. Illusions by the mastermind. The mutant known as Mastermind. Uh, sparked his first opinions on mutants. Heralded funding for Sentinel Project. So he was the big guy behind that, besides Bolivar Trask. Uh, wife was killed by in a mutant battle. Great. Awesome. That helps it. Further raged. Uh, center of the Days of Future Past story arc, which only lasted two issues, where his assassination by Mystique um, and her Brotherhood of Evil was the catalyst for the disparaging future that you saw in Days of Future Past. Uh, whereas, I think in the movie, they had Bolivar Trask be the center of it, because they had already used Yeah, they had, they, had, they had Trask, because yeah. uh, they got Peter Dinklage. Yeah. Um, uh, altered his stance in the 2000s when his life was saved by Pyro, of all people. Um, assassinated at a college rally, though, where he spoke for mutant rights. And Cable was stuck... Looking in a in a telepathic meeting, he was late to a telepathic meeting, and then he <laughs> forgot to like keep looking at Senator Robert Kelly, and the dude got killed. Good <laughs> oh, stuff. the irony! Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, moving on, Mystique, Dave Cockrum, Chris Claremont, Ms. Marvel, number sixteen, nineteen seventy eight, supposed to be a bisexual character considering the fact that she's a 100 year old shapeshifter and had pretty much lost her stringent hold on her own gender at that point um would have would have but the comics code authority was still in effect so no homosexual or you know sexually deviant characters were allowed uh so therefore she is straight and only banged dudes and she was a woman the whole time um, and that's just the mystique we got. Uh, her close relationship with Magneto in these early movies um, and later Charles in those late movies by First Class is completely fabricated for the film. I really don't think she has a close relationship with Magneto at all. No, uh, they really – Mystique is oh, in the comics was always kind of her own free agent. She would do whatever would get her ahead. Yeah. Uh, the, the only real characters that I've ever seen her show actual affection for are Destiny and Rogue. Yes. Sometimes Nightcrawler-ish. Uh, more noticing him than actual affection. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so she did have a close relationship with Rogue, as you said, um, being the girl's adoptive mother uh, with her lover, the clairvoyant mutant Irene Adler, a.k.a. Destiny. Uh, Mystique is very much her own woman. Uh, with skills in infiltration, she climbed up the civil service ladder in order to gain access to U.S. anti-military, anti-mutant military plans that she could sabotage from within often with no regard for human life, which, among other things, led to Rogue leaving her. A very skilled organizer and leader, and having founded several terroristic mutant groups, including her own version of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and the Freedom Force, her goals line up with Magnetos occasionally, so they do cross paths um, uh, frequently, but I'd say, yeah, like you said, she's no, she's not subservient to anyone. No, she, no, she's she's her own person. Um, and then she has a convoluted history with Nightcrawler and Sabretooth. Actually, I can't remember. Did I tell you on the last stand one what uh, what Claremont wanted to do with her backstory with Rogue, but couldn't because of the comics code authority? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wanted to make uh, Rogue, and she wanted to bang Destiny. Yep. Right, as a dude, yep. and then give birth to Rogue, yep. and given enough time, he would have uh, he would have made someone else their parents too. I think he <laughs> meant no, he meant to do that with Nightcrawler first, and then he said, with enough time, I was going to say Rogue's parents were actually Mystique and Destiny. If I would have stayed on the book until like the Comics Code Authority went away, mm-hmm. he would have changed <laughs> that 
because that's what Claremont does. He's like, I'll fucking write this thing back. I had this plan 10 years ago. I'm still going to put it into effect. He, he, he plays the long game. He plays the long game. This asshole plays the long game. You saw how many <laughs> words he puts in one book. Of course he plays the long game. Oh, my God. He <laughs> sets seeds for, like, three years into the future. Like, that's why his stuff is kind of fun to reread. <sighs> well, if, if, you read, if, if you get the Dark Phoenix trade, and then if you actually read, like, the... 13 issues prior to what's in the trade the seeds are being laid yeah i mean oh my goodness it's 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 absurd yeah all right we got to keep moving there's so many more i'm just through Can't the villains up. right now magneto x-men number one 1963 lee kirby his backstory is just as dramatic as it is displayed in the movies a few extra details before ending up in a concentration camp max eisenhart his real name his family and his family lived in a Warsaw ghetto, which they managed to escape until they were betrayed and captured. His family was then executed in a mass grave, but he survived with the manifestation of his mutant powers, stopping the bullet from killing him. He then escapes from the grave, but is uh, captured and sent to Auschwitz. Following an escape from the camp with his lover, Magda, he tried to build a life with her under the new identity, Magnus. But their story I detailed in the Apocalypse podcast episode, and you can guess how it turned out if you don't already know. Uh, forges out a new identity as Eric Lencher and moves to Israel for a bit, uh, where he meets Charles Xavier, and they become fast friends, discussing the tribulations of mutant community. After some time spent adventuring, Eric realized he could never get along with Charles' ideals. Taking the a secret cache of Nazi gold, he found he left for America to finance his goals and to bring mutant kind into the light as the dominant species on the planet. The rest you can read on your own. Next up, Iceman, X-Men, number one, 1963. This one I might need help with. I spent some weird shit, okay? All right. All right. Bobby spent his early years in Long Island, New York. While in a high school date, the local bully, man, the 60s, you had local bullies, tried to forcibly steal away his date. Also, that shit would happen in broad daylight. Um, this confrontation led to him accidentally freezing the guy in a block of ice. All of Port Washington at that point goes nuts and becomes a mob to oust the mutie freak out of town. The sheriff tries to, quote-unquote, protect Bobby by putting him in a jail cell, only for him to be shortly broken out of said cell by Scott Summers with an offer from Professor X to be the second member of this new thing called the X-Men. Uh, since then, he has been a mainstay on the team as the cocky teenage comic relief going through dramatic relationships and physical changes, including a second mutation that led to Bobby losing his ability to transform back to flesh and blood, and he was forever stuck as an unfeeling being of ice. He, um... Oh, excuse me. One of He is one of the most powerful mutants in the Marvel Universe, being a Omega-level mutant, which means that his abilities, uh, when honed, can create change at a molecular level and alter the very ecosystem of the Earth. After a recent run on X-Men, uh, has brought a time-displaced team of the original five members, including Iceman, of course, into modern continuity, and the time-displaced Bobby Drake came out of the closet, which is really confusing, considering how many woman, women Bobby Drake has dated over the years, and then teenage Bobby confronted adult Bobby and was able to pull out of him the revelation that he also, yes, has been a closeted gay person this whole time. To which I say, <laughs> that's stretching. It, 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 honestly, I, I think it's a bullshit retcon. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't... I don't... Nothing wrong with gay characters. No, no, not, We're a, get not, that not, straight. not at all. But it's just like, okay, these characters were all created in the 60s when it was all white dudes with token females. I mean, it was that was the times. And yes, stuff has advanced since then. But okay, of all the original X-Men, I could see Angel being a closeted. Okay, um, yeah, uh, that, that's fair. The I, dude has wings. And a high sense of fashion. <laughs> Aside from Just his, immaculate. How, how many year-long uh, romance with Psylocke, but besides that... Well, I mean, she's she's practically a dude. 
<laughs> that that's why Marvel puts her ass on everything. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. She's I mean she's practically transgender because she's got like so many beans inside of her body. Yeah, her she's even for X Men confusing continuity. Yeah, but Psylocke isn't in this movie, so we just move on. Yes. So. Next up, Storm, giant sized X Men number one, Chris, Chris Crispy Claremont, and Dave Cockrum. I like to call him that. That's because we're friends. Uh, Nineteen seventy five. Uh, born in Harlem to a Kenyan mother and an American father, Aurora Monroe's family moved to Cairo. Great name, by the way. That just sounds like a sound like dog Actually, makes. minor, minor uh, uh, in Giant Size X-Men number one, it was Len Wine and Dave Cockrum. Oh, you're right. Thank you. Shit. Claremont did not take over until the next issue, which was Uncanny X- or but isn't just he X-Men credited number 94. Storm? Nope. Oh, I thought he was. Nope. He is credited for making Storm the character that she was, but not her her creation hold on hold on we're gonna go to wikipedia and then you can fix the wikipedia page created by oh len <laughs> wine dave cockrum okay i fucked up all right well i was like i thought i read claremont and i would have wanted you to fix it because i would did the same thing with the richie simpson character from hellblazer uh-huh. anyway um <laughs> so, so 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 aurora Munro's family moved to cairo egypt during a botched airstrike during the suez crisis uh she is left orphaned and an experience Buried under six feet of rubble lays the groundwork for for some severe claustrophobia. Uh, She then wanders through Africa, mostly growing up on the streets of Cairo, until her early adulthood, where use of her mutant abilities leads her to being worshipped as a goddess in the Serengeti, before Xavier comes and scoops her up. That's what he does. He just, he's like, there's a mutant over there. Go get her with the jet. Uh, next up, Jean Grey, X-Men number one. Haha, you wish I was going to talk about this shit, but no. <laughs> if I had a book, I couldn't fucking describe all the shit going on with Jean Grey. All right, I'll say this for her origin, though. All right. Being with her witnessing her best friend being killed in a car crash, in those few moments, her telepathic abilities emerged, nearly killing her, um, as well as putting her in a comatose state uh, because she also experienced dying. <laughs> Um, until her parents enlisted the help of Charles Xavier to bring her out of it and recruit her for his school. And that's it. We're taking, we're talking, like, if I talked anymore, we're looking at multiple time-displaced doubles, retconned clones, and more resurrections than Jesus Christ showing off at Easter. Accurate. Okay. Totally accurate. We, we need a few hours. All right, next up, Cyclops. You got Jean Grey, assholes. What more do you want from me? Scott was born in Alaska, with was in a crashing plane with his parents and his little brother, and they were only two parachutes. So enter traumatic experience here. Uh, separated from his brother, he grew up in an o- Omaha orphanage. Um, when did orphanages not become a thing anymore in America? Are they still a thing in America? I have no clue. I thought we moved to nothing but foster care. Yeah. Wards of the state go to Foster's. Can't help you. I wish I knew some more information about that. (laughs) Um, Ran out out of the orphanage at 16 and wandered the streets of New York for a bit before being scooped up by Xavier. Scoop. Yep. Professor X. X X-Men number one, 1963. Jack Kirby. Rich scientist father dies in an accident. Scientist partner Kurt Marco marries Charles' mother. Telepathy emerges. He discovers that Kurt's only in it for the money. Kurt's basically a gold digger. Uh, abuses uh, Kurt abuses mother um, to the point of alcoholism and abuses both Charles and his son from a previous marriage, uh, Kane, Kane Marco, who would become Juggernaut. Uh, Kane takes out being frust- takes out the beating of uh, takes out all the frustrations from the beatings on Charles. So Charles gets a double whipping. Uh, Charles tries to explore psychological abuse inflicted on Kane instead of on himself. Weird. Um, he tries to do it te- telepathically. Kane uh, figures this out. Kind of uh, betrayal, feelings, and anger that will last for decades as Juggernaut. Uh, Mom dies. Kurt dies too in a lab explosion, admitting that he had a part with Charles' father's death. Ooh, drama. Um, Charles then takes the wealth and earns multiple degrees in psychology and psychiatry, travels the world, even a stint in the Korean War, meets Eric in Israel, of course, that whole deal, uh, multiple heartbreaks with multiple women, an alien named Lucifer breaks his legs, founds the X-Men school. 
sound about right? Yeah, there's so much stuff. Yeah, again, convoluted and crazy. That was probably as succinct as we're going to get. Okay, and finally, Rogue, Avengers Annual number 10, 1981, Chris Claremont, Michael Golden. Ooh, that's a new name. Uh, took 20 years for Marvel to go get around to providing a backstory for this character. Um, she's a hippie. Uh, she was born from hippie Mississippi parents. Uh, and they they leave her in the care of her aunt, and her aunt's a dick. So Rogue leaves, makes out with a boy named Cody, puts him in a permanent coma, scarred and then covers herself head to toe, believes that she's cursed, and she's scared for her life, uh, comes into the care of Mystique and Destiny. Myst- <laughs> the character Destiny. Uh, Mystique involves Rogue in terrorist plots, manipulates her into absorbing Miss Marvel's powers for a mutant break jail breakout. Uh, the struggle is prolonged, and Rogue absorbs her powers and certain personality traits and memories permanently. She also absorbs too many people's memories over the years and starts losing control of her own mind, turns to Xavier for help, joins the X-Men, illustrious career. Um, white streak in her hair. Ryan, origin behind that? Uh... I haven't actually read her as a child, but I seem to recall seeing a panel online of her as a little girl with a white streak of hair. So born with it. I think so. Okay. Huh. Now, typically white streaks in hair is not an unfounded thing to happen to a person when going through a tremendously stressful and traumatic experience, typically fear-induced. You can get a white streak in your hair. It does happen. Um, so I didn't know if there was a moment in the comic books where it happened, whereas in the movie they're just like the Statue of Liberty shit. If if it was, it would have been um, absorbing Miss Marvel. A, a flashback thing because uh, when she absorbed Miss Marvel's power, she already had the streak. Ah, uh, well, they'll retcon it eventually. All right, final character of the night, Wolverine. Fuck you. Read a book. All right, I'm not gonna talk yeah. about Wolverine. He's way shorter than he is in the film. That's all I'm gonna say. Wolverine's in a goddamn every single fucking one of those X-Men books. Pick up an X-Men book and test me that it doesn't have Wolverine. Bam. Or a version of it at this point, because Wolverine's dead, and he's been replaced by three Wolverines. All of the Wolverines. Right? X-23, Old Man Logan, and maybe Dokken's still around? No, he's dead. Wolverine drowned his ass. Oh, okay. Uh, He's got to have another kid. Cyber. Cyber's a clone, right? I honestly never got the backstory with Cy- Wolverine's in too many goddamn books. I can't keep track of all of them. Okay, I, okay, at least two Wolverines are out there. Yes, at least two of them. Um, <clears throat> and then like Cat Pride might still be out there. Kitty Pride? No, like Cat Pride from Age of Apocalypse, because she had Wolverine claws. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, I'm remembering that. Um, well, they kind of get rid of the multiverse, so... Okay. All right. Well, whatever. Uh, anybody else got some shit they want to say about this movie? Um, the only fun fact I really had um, is... <sighs> okay. Best line of the film was when uh, Wolverine's being introduced to all the X-Men, and uh, you know what? Maybe not, now that I'm thinking about it more. Damn it. Professor X is like, you were attacked by a man named Sabretooth. And Wolverine's like, Sabretooth, huh? Like, you don't fucking know who that is? But I guess they, they said he lost his memory in X-Men Origins of that Sabretooth character. But still, I feel as if that shit, come on. I feel as if, like, I'm trying to find the very first moment we were going to see continuity break in the X-Men franchise. All right? That's what I want. When I was watching the movie, I was like, at what point has this already been made wrong by the X-Men continuity? Like, or will Look, be guys, made I wrong. found that one piece of broken glass out of the entire case of bottles. <laughs> so that's what I was looking for. Um, and maybe a lot of it is the fact that Wolverine can smell Mystique in the first film. But when she goes to make out with him in the second film, he's like has to feel for her scar for when she stabbed him in the first film. It's like, you could smell this bitch no matter what she looked like. You fucking stab Storm. Uh, maybe the first continuity error is Storm's accent. Um, there's sad, there we go. I think that would probably be it. There's sad attempts to give her that actual African origin and Halle Berry just not the way the, the, the accent wasn't good. And then even in the first movie, she slipped in and out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody was a card in the first film. This is probably Cyclops' best movie. 
and that's so sad. Really so sad to say because Cyclops is badass. Well, but, not least, but in the movies, he's dead. Uh, but in the movies, he's just got the shaft. Yeah, he has. He definitely has. Okay, any other fun facts tonight? We're going to wrap this up and go home. Let's wrap it. Okay, so Super Ruby Studies is recorded and produced. Right. Talk about the ice and stuff. Rate and subscribe Monday. That's my life. <laughs> you know what? You know what it means. Yeah, yeah, you know what it means. We have iTunes. We're there. Rate us, please. Subscribe us, please. New episodes every Monday. And then when you're done with that, go to Twitter at Super M Studies. Uh, Twitter question of the week. I want you to quote a scene from X Men as if. Wolverine had the thickest Australian accent ever. Sounds about right. Ah, <laughs> oh, that'll do it today. I'm your host, Michael Maurer. And James Scott Ryan Schnard. Ben was here. All right, have a great day, night, evening, afternoon, Christmas, everybody. Cinco de Mayo. Bro. Every, every... Magneto. <laughs> Sorry, bro. Magneto. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>